1: That plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
4: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
3: Open your hearts, loosen your butts. It's time for couples therapy.
1: And a welcome to Couples Therapy My name is Andy And my name is Naomi We're a real-life couple
0: A real-life couple of comedians Talking
1: over Zoom on two coasts And on Couples Therapy We answer a couple different questions From a couple different
0: listeners Yes, you heard it right I am coming to you live from New York City Call me SNL And Andy is in Los Angeles If I call you
1: SNL You have to be racist and uh, transphobic, don't you?
0: Okay, you're right Don't call me SNL <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I must say this Zoom is a wonderful opportunity to see your shining face. You're looking well. How has it been parenting solo for the last week?
1: Difficult. It is very difficult. And I look well because, Naomi, last night I made myself a dinner of uh, roasted broccoli, General so's tofu, and sushi rice. And so
0: I'm glowing with health. Do you see how he is feasting when I'm not there, y'all? Andy up in the kitchen, Ina Garten, giving us a taste when i'm at home he just you know makes spring vegetable risotto <laughs> how, <laughs> how you dare, dare you,
2: you
1: dare. how dare you like i would ever like the one vegetarian thing that people do is uh is a pasta primavera and all they do is like uh eh, just throw some uh, shitty vegetables on the these uh elbow macaroni and uh bring it out to the shithead who won't <laughs> eat the beef
0: No one says that anymore, though. Like, that's the thing. Being vegetarian is not dramatic anymore.
1: It is, I think, outside of major cities still.
0: Still, like, vegetarian, vegan, I get it. Because they'll be like, so you mean cheese? And like you'll be like, no, that's not it. But vegetarian is, like, easy to just, like, give me something that is not an animal.
1: I think you get whatever the Caucasian version of side eye is still, though. Mm -hmm, mm What What is that? You know what
0: that is? The Caucasian version? It's a
1: long (laughs) beat. Uh, so what do we call it? Like the white space? Yes, the white space of disapproval.
0: That's more dramatic, though. The white space of disapproval makes it seem almost like I don't know, like it's thought out. It's more like a Caucasian reckoning, perhaps is a better phrase.
1: <laughs> Mama's painful pause. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> you know, if your mama has a long beat, it's going to be a painful pause. Oh
0: my God, you guys! One of the this- cats just crossed the screen of Andy's Zoom, and I got so excited. Is that what it's like when we have guests on who are talking <laughs> to us, and then the cat comes by? Because instantly I was like, oh, squeak.
1: You can tell who's, who's a pet person or not from whether they comment. If they don't comment, they're just like, what the fuck is that thing? That's really what they're saying in their head, and they just don't say it. But you can tell pet people uh, by, you know, how excited they are when uh, a pet walks across. Oh, uh, how... So to answer your question, how has uh, solo parenting been very difficult? Well, like Andy, the we got to save
0: some of this for the Patreon. So I'm not right. asking for a real in-depth <laughs> answer, okay? Because we were supposed to do a page, but you guys, I didn't bring headphones that plug into my computer, which makes it nigh on impossible to record clean audio. I yes. ruined the vibe. Which is why so you're you hearing for Zoom audio There's a lot to get into. All
1: right. Well, I'll just say this. Just Are, are, are we teasing it for
0: the, tease the page? Yeah, tease the page, guys. <laughs> Patreon.com slash pod. Well, actually, here's the thought I had, which I was not going to bring up now. But going into the holidays, I think that if you have someone in your life who's a fan of the pod and has thought about doing the Patreon, it could be a good holiday present. If you wanted to gift them like <laughs> six months a page or something, you know, $5 a month, two bonus episodes. I think that's a cute gift. Doesn't break the bank. It says, I am aware of your interests. Here's a little way for you to get some more. Just think about that, Andy. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm I, saying.
1: I love that idea, Naomi. I love that idea. And you know what? If uh, say maybe you want to contribute to the show, but you don't have, uh, you don't have five dollars. I know th- times are tough. You can always write a review, a five-star review only. Look, this is uh, this is purely for us. This is a gift for us.
0: I was going to say not even write the review. Just give us the five stars. Well, someone actually,
1: I forget who we were talking to about this. Oh, this was someone at the Mythic Quest premiere, a stranger, was just like, oh, you should have people write, uh, give five stars, and the review should just be like, whatever their worst relationship was. <laughs> If you do that and it's fun, we'll read it on the on the show. How's that in the intro? Oh
0: yeah, that would be really good. Yes, because then you don't even have to be like, "Here's a thought re- review to help people." Just say like, you know, they wore Tivas everywhere and loved to spit spit on the floor. You know what I mean? Give us these fun facts about terrible people in yeah, your life. Yeah, they wore Tivas and still use Tivo. Tivas and Tivo. That's a fun. That's a fun little like. I don't know what. Actually, it's not fun. I take it back.
1: <laughs> but I brought this up, Naomi, because do you remember the infamous three-star review that uh, that so incensed us? <laughs> <laughs> Jokingly, of course. They actually wrote back with a five-star review, and I just wanted to read that very quickly. Wow. We bullied them, but let's keep going. <laughs> <it. laughs> Sorry, it starts off, Naomi. Sorry, LOL. From the infamous recent three-star reviewer, I take it all back and issue a formal apology for my unhelpful critique of occasional cynicism, as it is just an issue of my own projection and internal feelings of deep pessimism. Five stars and only good vibes and blessings and love. My apologies for igniting a feud. (laughs) Never actually felt you deserved a three-star review. I just had a moment of temporary psychosis and acted in blind rage. Hopefully we can heal together now and still be friends. Yes. the I'm calling it, Naomi. The feud is
0: over. The rift is healed. I feel healed. That's beautiful. Whoever you are, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> first of all, I'm obsessed with you for the first three-star review. And then the way you just came back and the fact that you called it psychosis is so funny. <laughs> so thank you. You are truly in my heart. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate you going on a journey with us. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The other journey
1: day would be when I, I set up this, uh, I, I started the Zoom a little early and then I started watching um, a friend of mine. I was doing voiceover for a friend's cartoon. So uh, the neighbors have heard me screaming but like yesterday, just screaming. And then he reminded me when we were kids. And I think you're you're old enough, too, to maybe remember this. There was a Punky Brewster cartoon on Saturday morning.
0: Oh, I don't think I know about Punky cartoons. And
1: so I set up the Zoom. I invited you. This is early. Then I went and started this video uh, of the theme song for the Punky Brewster cartoon. In it, she meets a weird, magical creature named Glomer, which is like a weird, like talking rodent thing. <laughs> And that was the premise of the... So, the Punky Brewster, if you're too young to have ever seen this... Oh, even though there was a reboot, I believe, on Peacock for a a hot minute. The Punky Brewster TV show was that she was an orphan. It was... uh, She was White Webster, I think, right? Yeah, it was real White Webster vibes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then in the cartoon, they couldn't just have, like, I guess, animated adventures of an orphan with uh, her foster parent or adoptive parent. It was... Uh, a magical creature named Glomer that she hangs out with. Anyway, is she
0: an I, orphan, though, in the cartoon?
1: I, that it does not give me that information in the uh, in the intro. It just has Because like...
0: I find that to be actually sadder. If she is an orphan and she hangs out with a magical rodent... Like, if you're gonna, like, cause the fact is, like, her biggest dream, like, her best dream is, an, is a rodent. You <laughs> well, see what that, I'm saying?
1: No, you're, well, <laughs> I don't see what you're saying. What do you mean?
0: I just feel like it's sad <laughs> to me that as a little girl in a cartoon world, Punky's, the best friend she could conjure in her mind was like a large rat. This isn't
1: imaginary, this is real. So she actually, this is not like her imagination, Naomi. This is, she meets a, well, here, let me see if I can see this. <laughs> Uh, she she encounters. I'm gonna narrate what this is. She encounters a weird. Um, uh, it's like <laughs> it's like doll sized. Oh, okay. So basically, she uh, there's a rainbow, and in the end of the rainbow is this glomer creatures village. And glomer pushes out of the rainbow to meet Punky Brewster. They hug. Glomer is about two feet tall, by the way, so capybara sized, and then. Uh, The rainbow disappears along with Glomer's village. And so... uh, There was Glomer
0: an orphan? Yeah. Okay. 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 They really took liberties. I'm not here for reimaginings and reboots. You know that. Hey, before we get to the episode today, Naomi...
1: Even though I could talk to you for another 45 to 900 minutes
0: on this. <laughs> I, lo- I thought you were going to say, like, I could talk to you for another 45 minutes to an hour, which would have been so funny to say about the person you've chosen to spend your life with. That's why I said I could talk to you for another 45 minutes. But uh, I want to play. We got uh, so many. Again,
1: I think uh, the first episode of the new year will be us just uh, responding to comments Uh, That people have uh, sent in. But uh, I just wanted to play these quickly. Here's one that someone sent in recently. Based on. Things we've said.
0: Hi. Uh, This is a response to the recent episode. Where Andy said something about looking for someone to make. Loosen your butt mugs. M U G S. Now on top first listen. I thought. That was loosen your butt plugs. Um, I was high and maybe a little bit drunk but i also thought that's a great fucking idea so you know i know you're sex negative but loosen your butt plug get into it
1: well folks what do you think would you
0: want branded couples therapy sex toys (laughs) do you want a loosen your butt plug that would be very like think about it a sex negative sex toy brand that's just – I mean, what Yeah, is, well, we're like, do whatever you want. Just don't tell us about it. That's really <laughs> what it is, right? Or like a butt plug you could just cuddle up with. You know what I mean? <laughs> Something mm-hmm. that just says you don't have to have sex if you don't want to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's – that would say, I, I still am very confused about what actually being sex neutral and sex negative is, but
0: – Andrew, why would you say that? All <laughs> recorded media to our listeners when this is our entire brand and you're telling me you don't know what it means. <laughs>
1: Uh, I didn't realize it was. I thought it was a a a, a joke and not a brand. Honey,
0: gotta... it's a lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> I need oh, a so I need a, a
1: publicist to to sit me down and tell me all the things I'm supposed to say now. <laughs> I
0: know. I know. Honestly, we really could use that for you. We really could.
1: I mean, it's only taking me a year to almost get open your hearts, loosen your butts mugs with an M made. So, how long do you think if if they're is your, uh, is your orgone crying out for couples therapy
0: branded? <laughs> I hate when you say orgone. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Are your erotic hearts crying out for couples therapy branded sex toys? Sound off in the comments,
0: patriots. <laughs> patriots. <laughs> What's the next comment, Andy? Okay. Well, this is a
1: serious one. This is from uh do you remember Jen Tullocks episode? Uh, Absolutely I remember
0: Jen Tullock's episode and the caller who had lost their ex partner. Yes. Very suddenly. Uh, called
1: themselves an eccentric widow. Yes. And, you know, I, I think we had a lot of good advice from them, but someone had um some other advice that we hadn't thought of, so I thought we should play this. Here we go.
2: Hi Naomi and Andy. Um just personally say big fan of the podcast, and Naomi in particular, I have been a fan of your comedy for a while, so thank you for your work. Um, just had a quick thought uh, about the caller from the Jen Tullock episode who lost her spouse uh, as they were divorcing. I lost my dad unexpectedly in 2020, uh, not related to COVID, um, and the situations aren't quite analogous because my dad and I were not estranged uh, at the time of his passing, but um, I did find comfort in a bereavement support group. Um, you mentioned therapy, and I think that's spot on I'm in favor of anyone going to therapy for basically any reason. But um, bereavement support groups are useful because you're in community with people who are going through uh, the same things you are, and they're usually run by a trained grief counselor. Uh, I found a free one through psychology today, so maybe the caller could... Uh, take some comfort in one as well. Thanks a lot. Again, love the podcast.
0: Mm. Thank you very much for that. That is a very good idea. I was thinking that too, because I remember when my grandmother passed away, my some members of my family, they went to a bereavement group You know, as she was dying. And um, I remember them talking about that, but I was hesitant to bring it up because I wasn't sure if they were a free thing, if you paid for them. That kind of thing, but I'm very glad someone came into the comments with that.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, I've never been to a support group, but on TV, they
0: seem to be helpful. I think support groups are very helpful. Have you seen Dead to Me? You never know what could happen. It is always, again, you know, grief is one of those feelings that can be isolating. And so what better way to combat that isolation than to find uh, and connect with other people who are going through what you're going through? You know, not that you're all going to be besties and hanging out, but you definitely realize, oh. This feeling I feel is not, you know, mine alone. Yeah. In real life, too. Like, not on a Reddit subgroup or whatever, right? Yeah, you shouldn't be on any Reddit subgroup, okay? Unless it's about the Midsummer Murders, okay? Because <laughs> I went on, I accidentally got on a Reddit board about Midsummer Murders last night. Okay, Andy, this is what I'm doing in your absence, trying not to get the cocoa, using my mom's Amazon Prime account. And did you know there are like 21 seasons of this show? Naomi, in your absence, I went on a uh,
1: masking subreddit to find out the best kind of masks to use (laughs) oh my god i may have found a reusable n95 that you put in new filters and you just like it's like a plastic mask and so you just keep putting in new filters could revolutionize things naomi it looks like it has like a very tight seal
0: oh my god i'm so excited for you a tight seal Is there another comment or shall I introduce our guest? No, why don't you introduce the guest? Okay, you guys, today we are talking to John Ross Bowie. Oh my God, talk about prolific, talk about gifted. You may know him from his work on the show's Feel Good, speechless, Big Bang Theory. He has a new memoir out now called No Job for a Man. And I started reading it and I am very into it. So give it a pickup if you're into it. You know, he grew up in New York in the 70s, 80s. Obviously he's in the world of comedy acting. So it's what resonated with me and why I was, you know, wanted to pick it up, Uh, but give it a listen. But he was really lovely. This was a really fun conversation. I was a little nervous. I didn't know what, Yeah, I don't know. Just sometimes when I don't really know somebody, you know, it's different like when you're with an actor versus a comedian where, at least seeing someone's comedy, you get a sense of who they are as a person. Whereas with an actor, I'm like, is he cool? Is he not? And
1: he was. Yeah, we met him once before, very briefly, when uh, him and his wife, Jamie, were on uh, a live show back in the day at Sketchfest of uh, a couples therapy, which you can hear in the archives. But, you know, I think the other thing is, Jamie, we love him on Feel Good, and you're a huge fan of Speechless. So I think also, like, you walk in with that kind of feeling already and you're like, uh, I hope he's cool. And he
0: was and he is. Yeah. So I guess I'm gonna do it, Andy. I'm gonna do it from all the way in New York City. Roll it live from New York. It's couple therapy. John Ross Bowie. Thank you so much for visiting us. Oh, I'm so glad to be
1: here. We're going to immediately put ourselves in a deferent position. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Fan, what fans of your we're work are fans, fans exactly that's from, the thing from
1: speechless to feel good so
3: yeah. oh wow yeah. oh yeah feel good was uh feel good was an intense project man i'm really glad i did that i'm it, really really glad i did that project
0: it was so different than the characters uh we I had seen you play, and I was like, wow, he is good at that guy. I know that guy. But you must have also known types of that guy growing up. <laughs> oh, I've known versions of that guy. Absolutely
3: i have known versions of that guy. And, that you know, uh, spoilers abound. So if you haven't watched uh, uh, Feel Good, the whole entire two seasons will take you six hours, and they're on Netflix, and I recommend them highly. All right, so go do that, and yeah. then come back. Absolute Hit Oh, pause. good, you're back. Oh, good, you're back. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it was one of those actor cliches of, I want to do this because it scares me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I said yes, and I was like, oh, shit, this is legitimately scary because, you know, I I don't... uh, Scott is a, you know, by most legal definitions, a sex offender, and he... And I I am not... I wasn't wasn't fucking teenagers when I was a teenager. Um, So... (laughs) That's that, but you still have to go to like, you know, what's the worst thing you've done? What's the worst thing you've been called out on? You have to go to that place of shame, and um, but also defensiveness because he there's one scene near the end, his last scene, where he just goes through every possible defense of like eating crow, you know, getting his back up against the wall, doing some what aboutism, he every possible defense mechanism, and in the space of like three minutes. Um, but it's not played for laughs. Mm -mm. It's just, it's just a guy up against the wall, um, proving that he's kind of a shit. And, uh, so yeah, it was a draining, uh, it was a really, uh, draining morning. Mm. Um, and it was only like our second day on set.
0: Oh God. I don't, I've been hearing this how like they'll, I I feel like I've heard it a lot in interviews where like they will put the darkest shit earliest, (laughs) like the hardest scene to do. It's like, it was our first day meeting and then we had to do this. Is that it, like it, a it was line weird.
2: producer
1: thing? Is that like where they've just like, well, this is like the most, ex- whatever we, we set this up. Like or is it? Why? Well, I just want to know like why. Cause I, yes, I have heard that too, where they're like, well, the first scene was the sex scene. <laughs>
3: <Right>. No, <laughs> I, I, I don't think there was anything deliberate behind it. You, I mean, it's a, it's a line producer question. The, um, you have to remember it's November, 2020. There's the COVID regulations are thick. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, London is very strange because, in some ways, it's incredibly shut down, and in other ways, all the open air markets are loosey goosey and their people are there, but everybody's ordering takeaway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't no, say takeout, they say takeaway. You're from, from Nando's? Yeah. <laughs> um, from Nando's. I got a lot of Nando's <laughs> chicken, man. I was right by a Nando's. I love Nando's. Um, but a uh, peri peri sauce, come on. But the, um, so. So I honestly think it was a question of like, well, listen, we can get this particular club that will look like a comedy club in Toronto for this one particular day. It just happens to be John's second day there. Um, Mm. And uh, so yeah, it it was pretty intense. And then the absolute last day And this actually worked out nicely. The last day of my entire shoot was the first time you see me in the show. It's when I pick her up at rehab. Uh But that was kind of nice because by that point we had a rapport and you know that hug was real. And I was, you know, uh, it was such a complicated character because he's not the Antichrist and she doesn't treat him like that. They don't treat Scott like that. There's a real sense of... Bad people do good things. uh, Good people do bad things that I found interesting and challenging. And I think the ambivalence comes across really nicely in May's performance.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. I like all the thought you have put into this, by the way, do you like us turning couples therapy into your podcast? We're going to go through your IMDb. I like yeah, the that. W- that was quick. It's <laughs> interesting to talk to like an actual actor about uh, a role. Whereas like, I mean, I'm, I don't do anything, but like if I would look at, at, Uh, A script, I would just be like, surely,
3: surely you must do something.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm a writer, I'm a writer and a podcaster, but I just mean like, okay, he does things. Sure, I'll do. I'm an improviser, like that kind of stuff. But like, if like nothing that even touches upon uh right. at, like genuine acting and just like <laughs> if i looked at a script i'd just be like all right i guess i'll just do this <laughs> like you have put in all the you're like well yeah so i went through you know i thought about how much shame this person must have and then
0: that's the craft andrew i know and it's that's just, the it, craft it's Eddie.
1: interesting to see so, to actually Talk to someone about that as opposed to when you're internal and you're... I mean, you're an actual actor, name
0: but He's, not really. Do do? So far, I just play me to some extent. I have yet to actually like stretch. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm that's fine. Put upon that's and fine. tired, and
3: I'm like, you'll uh-huh. you'll you'll get there. You'll get there. They were, you know, again, I'm, you know, this. I I got this role late in my 49th year. You know, I mean, this was a uh, this was a huge strep f- stretch for me, but I'd, I'd been at it 20 years already. Um, yeah, it's it's. I just felt the, the first season of that show was so good and so raw and so honest that I absolutely owed it to them to do all the actor homework and have an intention yeah. behind every line. And And I'll be honest with you. I don't always do that. <laughs> there are some times where I can I can get – there are certain gigs where I'm like, I've got this hands down. I know where the jokes are. I will step in, and this will be great fun. And I'm not going to phone it in, right. but I'm not going to have to do a ton of homework for it.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this
3: felt a little more intense. And we were both um, listening to, as they were setting up the scene, um, we were both listening to like the saddest shit we could listen to. She was over, I remember May was, I, I keep going back and forth between she and they, and they are incredibly patient about that. And I, I, thank, <laughs> I thank them for that. They were listening to um, Shelter from the Storm by Dylan. And I was listening to a bunch of, uh, of Vic Chestnut Oh. um and just both of us trying to get into the darkest possible place for for that scene um but it was such a wonderfully collaborative fun set and they uh and when i say they i mean honestly they the you know luke the director and joe the co-writer they they were all just every idea was possible yes absolutely let's try that mm-hmm. you know if you show up on book and on time Everyone is very forgiving when you want to play a little bit. <laughs> uh
0: huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Which is a great lesson. Yes. You know, if you if you, if you want, if you are going to be the sort of person who's like, well, I really want to talk to people about the script, like, great, show up early. <laughs> yeah. Great. Show up early so you make that time. Right. Um, right, but right, don't right. be an hour, an hour late for your call time and then have, ish- and I had no issues, but I was just sort of like, oh, what if we, what if there's a take like this just so you have it? You know, it was Uh no, it was not, it wasn't like a, uh, I will not say this line. It was just a, a, what else can we do here to, so you have options in the editing room kind of thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, Naomi, did about you give a? You being, did,
3: did you what? Did you shout out the show in an interview? I feel like you shouted out the show in an interview in Vulture or something.
0: Yes, was yes, that you? Was, yeah. Was all when,
3: about
1: the show.
0: When just Naomi, about the show. <laughs> when
1: she was promoting her Netflix special,
0: they uh, Vulture asked her to write on. It was work. underrated. Yeah, they were like, "What's an underrated?" And I was like, "Oh, nice! We're not talking about this show." And I just think that is, yeah, should but be illegal. Easily one of the
1: best shows so of the last exact.
3: I, I, I really appreciate that. That was uh, I, I loved when I, I saw that, and uh, it was just so great because I knew you anyway from our uh, brief encounter in San Francisco, and it was just, uh, it was lovely. It was really <laughs> lovely.
0: Oh, I'm so glad. It's also funny. Our brief encounter in San Francisco sounds so untoward. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> so way, untoward. It was, it was at a Everyone's comedy club. Spe- Everyone's spouses were there.
3: <laughs> Everybody was there. Let's Everyone's all be cool.
0: Spouses were there. We were all clothed. Just so. everyone was so funny. We were- no, but y'all were so funny. But uh, here's the thing. So um uh, we got an advanced copy of your book, which uh, nothing makes me feel fancier than an advanced copy of anything. I <laughs> so know I started right? reading. I had no idea you were from New York and uh Hell's Kitchen uh, pre gentrified pre Disney fied <laughs> Hell's Kitchen, and, pre- and I grew up pre gentrified. In- Gentrified Harlem. So I've been reading. Oh, whereabouts? Whereabouts? 135th. In Lenox,
3: okay, yeah, like right that's off the yeah, oh, okay, uh uh-huh.
0: I always am like, because people think Harlem now. I'm like, no, 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 before Red Rooster, okay, before Columbia started buying North. Yeah. It's not. right, right. Anymore. Well, John, you right. grew up in the New
1: York that I wanted to go to. <laughs> yes, that when I came to New York, that's the one I wanted. I wanted, and it though, was like,
3: it was gone by that point. I imagine I right? wanted
1: CBGBs, uh, the New York downtown art scene. Yeah, I wanted right. all of that, and it was <laughs> no longer there. I mean, I'm at the
3: tail end of the of the C B stuff, you know. I mean, there's an argument to be made that by the time I'm playing I mean, when I was going there it was still kind of relevant, you could still break bands there. When I was playing there, it was on its last legs. Mm-hmm. And I am aware of that. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense of uh uh drain circling going on around that venue in the <laughs> mid to late nineties. And it didn't last another 10 years, I think. And it was corner, you know, there were, they were doing benefits to keep it afloat, but it wasn't really making its rent anymore and it wasn't breaking bands anymore, but it was in the eighties when I was just a, a, a patron there, it was still pretty fun. And there was still some great stuff coming out of there and some, uh, it was it was a it was still kind of an exciting, dangerous quality to the whole neighborhood that uh, that is long gone. It's a John Varvados now.
0: Oh Jesus, really?
3: It's a John Varvados, and and I will say this: if you're gonna buy a five hundred dollars suit, um, <laughs> they they have done something. I can't. I mean, it's a John Varvados, so you know, right out of the gate, that's like, oh God, what what has happened to this place? But. Last time I went into the John Varvatos just to see what they had done, they had put up um, plexiglass in front of the old Seabees wall. So all the graffiti is still there. The okay. stage is still there. And there's clothing racks up on the stage. And it's still oh. at that weird angle. And it's, you know, the lighting's better. But it was, uh, oh, it was This is doing... John
0: Varvatos? Andy's looking up John Varvatos. You yeah, guys. afraid so. Afraid yeah. so. Oh, boy. <laughs>
3: afraid so. um. Yeah, it's um, no one who ever played there in the 70s would afford to shop there, but uh, David Byrne now could come around and shop <laughs> there. Do but,
1: you think um, he go there for a giant suit?
3: I'm assuming that's, I mean, he would have to show up for, for a 48 regular or whatever he wears. Um, <laughs> um, they did the best they possibly could do to preserve its memory while still being an incredibly overpriced boutique. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So again, you know, good people do bad things, bad people do good things. It's all they have a certain uh, ambivalence, uh, or a, and there's an ambiguity. It's not just straight up. This is a train wreck. Oh my god, what have you done to this memory? Um, but it's uh, it, it's also um, it's also very strange. It's and there are those who will find it blasphemous. It's
1: like <laughs> say private equity buying UCB. It's something. I have I have no further <laughs> comment. I have. <laughs> i have no further i don't
3: know what's going I, I you don't have to L- L- lavabo man uh, i have washed was my a- hair you know it's funny there's a there's a chunk <laughs> there's a chunk in my book about um where i talk about the brief period of time for one year where i ran the office at ucb and um as it was growing exponentially and i i think. An angstrom of credit for its growth because I was the one who was like, oh, we should start advertising and then it started advertising and all this money suddenly came in and I didn't know what I was doing. and I was in way over my head and I, I have felt horrible, but about that for years, I just really shit the bed. I think they got audited for the year I was there. It was just a really I did a really bad job of managing the office. But hindsight has shown that that place is just really tough to manage, um, and I've I've just now twenty years after the fact began to forgive myself for the fact that I was such a terrible office manager of that place because it, it's the ungovernable country, and I, mm-hmm. I I maybe private equity will fix that. I don't honestly not for me to say. I just know that you can't have something that is growing at that rate run by an improviser you need someone who's really (laughs) good at math (laughs) and very few of us get into improv because we're really good at math Mm, uh so yeah it was um uh I, i i i eagerly uh i i wish i
1: absolutely wish the theater well i'm gonna just toss it out there i don't think private equity fixes anything just gonna toss it out. There. Yeah,
3: I, I'm, 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 I'm hesitant as well. I, I will admit.
1: <music> Up and running. Okay, great. Where were gorgeous, we? Hi. Gorgeous. Private gorgeous. equity. I don't know, John. I gotta. T- I'll tell you where I am emotionally. I oh, was, okay. I was in a elevator for thirty seconds last night, masked masked and uh i came away from that convinced i have COVID again looked up online last night to see if my mask was counterfeit if it was like part of a counterfeit batch and then uh and i'm like slightly froggy this morning again i woke up about uh an hour ago
0: <laughs> yeah a little over
1: a little over and just i'm just like well are I you guys are, are a, you guys I'm in a, l.a Yes. yes, you're in obviously got right? yeah. it again.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's like- yeah.
1: So like, uh, so that's where I am emotionally, and that <laughs> okay. gives you any kind of
0: um, indicator of
3: that's fine. Of who that's fine. I am you're, as a person, you, you are in a safe place.
0: You are, but Andy, I've got questions. Okay, I know for I, JRB, I let have me tell a ton you. too
1: because I want to go back to the part where you're just like, even as a teenager, I wasn't. Well, I'll be go delicate. On. I wasn't uh, making love. <laughs>
0: Wasn't making love with teenagers as a teenager. As a teenager. But uh but I'm
1: I'm curious, what is dating like in the in pre-gentrified New York for John? Um Well, it's it's really very interesting.
3: It's um and now that I think of it, if I'm being hundred percent honest, there there was one lady we were both seventeen. There was one lady in my senior year. But um uh but it was dating was interesting because there was Tons of stuff to do, and in the warmer months, a lot of it was free, mm-hmm. and so that was pretty cool. So you could, you know, go see, you know, Toots and the Maytals play uh, the Central Park Bandshell in mm-hmm. the 80s. Um, You could hang around. There used to be a thing in Washington Square Park in the 80s where there were a bunch of um Basically, it was like a vaudeville act that in the in the colder months was in the fountain because the fountain was turned off and the warmer months was just off to the side, a little closer to the NYU campus. And there would be like an hour and a half um, program of uh, a couple of stand-up comics, um, a magician who I think went by Mr. Lee, or he's like an exotic juggler, sword swallower type guy, um, a, a bunch of guys called the Calypso Acrobats um the late charlie barnett uh was uh one of those comics uh, the late rick avelis was one of those comics and it would you they would pass the hat but you threw in like a bl- a buck per act and you had like 90 minutes of entertainment that mm-hmm. would cycle around for about 4 or 5 bucks and that was that was pretty magical and i don't know that you could have that again mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. for myriad reasons but You know, the other catch was, you know, it was, crime was high and it was, uh, it could be a little scary sometimes and, um, you would get, uh, you you could be trying to impress a girl and literally get punched by a stranger (laughs) and, you know, I don't recommend that. That'll, that'll slow your game (laughs) down pretty quickly. Um, that, uh, that'll rob you of your swagger in a hurry, (laughs) but, uh. But it was – but, you know, there was – there were all sorts of revival movie theaters. Every possible band was going to come to town and you could go see them. You know, they were – absolutely everybody was going to – nobody was going to skip your town on tour. You know, you were – absolutely everybody was going to come to New York and you could see um, whoever you wanted eventually. So there was a lot to love about it. Um, And at the same time, sometimes you'd come home and find your house half empty because you had been robbed, you know, and or or like somewhat empty, but the TV was on the floor because somebody, you know, somebody, they heard a noise and they got scared and they dropped your TV and took off, you know, which is a horrible feeling, horrible, horrible feeling to come home to a a burglarized apartment. Um, And I think one of the things the book deals with is that love-hate relationship that a lot of new yorkers my age have with the place uh of how you know yes it was incredibly creative and exciting and also you know like a lot of creative exciting things a little scary
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
3: is that how you felt naomi
0: well definitely i mean again like it was you know i came into the fun a little bit later right like it would have been the late 90s but i think i grew up like for instance the big thing i what I romanticized was Rent, the musical Rent, and that life, <laughs> and the idea that I could have been a, an artist and survived, right? Like- which was on its way out when that
3: musical yes. uh, showed up. Yes. So by 96, Giuliani's been in office for two years, and I have a lot of thoughts about that, but um, <laughs> but that, that lifestyle, that idealized view of even the Lower East Side, even mm. Alphabet City, was fading quickly, right. which is- why that hasn't maybe aged as well as, you know, Oklahoma. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I thought oh, I, was- I kid rent. I kid rent. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I remember thinking it was the coolest. And again, too, you know, people didn't really start checking for Harlem until about 2004 or five, I would say. And so there was a part of me that always thought no matter what, I could always live in Harlem. Right. Like I didn't it was never really about the goal and the worry was never being rich. It was right. just doing it. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll always be able to live. Like our one bedroom apartment was $600 oh my God. and it yeah. stayed that way until, and then like my mom even subletted it and then that idiot woman just left without telling us so that she lost the sublet and then they jacked it up. But it was like, there was a time when it was like, Oh, I'll just live here. I will live in this one-bedroom apartment. I will die in this one-bedroom apartment. There is a doorman. There is laundry in the basement. I've got everything I could possibly need And you walk half a block to the two train. And I just, it didn't feel like it was impossible. And then as I became an adult, it became impossible. Uh, Yeah, more and more so. And
3: it also, it was so interesting because I was in a band in New York in the mid to late 90s, and this is all in the book, but there was a real sense of hopelessness because rent was so expensive nobody had a car parking a car would be incredibly expensive and I was just like how are people creative Mm -hmm. at a time like this when you've absolutely got to have a corporate job to live anywhere certainly anywhere in Manhattan Mm -hmm. and then the next band that blew up had incredibly rich parents and i don't want to get into names you wouldn't be yeah. surprised if i told right. you who it was you wouldn't have like a sudden stroke or something if i told <laughs> you who i who i was thinking of but there was i mean there was simply no way to be in a band without having generational wealth which is incredibly frustrating and i vampire
1: I, weekend and
3: <laughs> i i well, it, 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 there's a few versions you know and right. i right. Um, right yeah no there are I, many I, Yeah. And and that's um, that is frustrating to me um, Mm -hmm. because it has the potential to be such a a wonderful, creative hotbed. And and then they wonder why, you know, bands start coming out of, you know, North Carolina and bands start, you know, coming out of of smaller cities on the eastern seaboard. Um, Anyway, yeah. Bitch, bitch, but, bitch.
0: Hi. <laughs> but I'm wondering, here's one thing, because I'm just, I'm, I'm early in the book, but there was specifically this moment that struck me, which was that moment when you're, you talk about your mom gets upset with you, and she like pulls down the bookshelf, and she yells like, you know, I would have wanted to get married again. And yeah. then how the next morning, um, it's like nothing happened. Mm. And I relate Literally, to that. Yeah. Oh, I really? I really relate to that very hard in the sense of growing up... Um, my parents split very early. It was me and my mother for the longest time. Uh-huh. And I wasn't as willful as I think a teenage white boy might have been, <laughs> but I certainly like. We are willful, but I certainly
3: I have like. heard that. I have heard that is a larger uh, a a larger difference culturally. <laughs> I I I have indeed heard that. Yes.
0: But that feeling of, you know, when you are so in time with your parent where it's like, I did this thing and I feel bad. So you go to apologize because it's like even just having the thought you're like, oh, my God, I'm bad. I shouldn't do this. You know, especially when you know when it's just when your parent, when you know them in a way too, where it's like one thing I say about when you grow up with a single parent or when your parents are divorced and you're living with one, you lose that buffer. Right. Like I think when you have married parents, they like go in a room together and have a conversation and then come Uh out. Uh-huh. And when it's not like that, you see the seams. You see the struggle. You know when it's rough. Naomi, let me ask
3: you this. Are you an only child? Yep. Aha. Uh-huh. See, now that is, that's an extra layer of weird bonding that you're going to have with a parent. A single mom raising an only child is a singular dynamic. And yes, there is a weird uh, level of Don't get freaked out by my use of the word intimacy, but there's a weird level of of intimacy with something like that. But then my mom would hand me these incredible metaphors of knocking over a bookshelf and then the next morning the bookshelf would be right back up and all the books would be back in place because she just, she was one of those Irish Catholics who just would not do therapy and would not do any sort of like Al-Anon type recovery and figured if you just didn't deal with this shit, it would go away. And when it broke through the dam, hold on to your fucking hat. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, yes. And I was, as you know, on some levels, I was more willful than uh, than uh, some of my friends. But I had other people who were like, oh, I got my mom in check. And I was like, I couldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to get my mom in check. What are you talking about? How do you get your mom in check? What is that? And I'm, I realize I'm I'm dating myself with the slang, but I was fascinated by, like, I mean, that's willful. You get your mom yeah, in yeah, check. Yeah. That's some shit right there. But it was, um, yeah, that's so interesting to hear you talk about that. So Jamie, my wife, who, who uh, sends her regards, she is also... She's also an only child, but she's an only child from the suburbs where it was a slightly... And her parents stayed together except for one little two-year lacuna where they took a break and huh. separated and then Ooh. got back together. Oh, oh, that's that's her episode. I'll okay, say, I'll okay. Ha- yeah, yeah, we'll say that. Let <laughs> me hang back. Let me hang back. But she is so much more... Um, I won't say obsessed, but she feels that being an only child was a much more... Um, meant a lot more in the suburbs because just, you know, everybody had siblings, you know. And I feel like being an only child in New York was a little less radical just out of, you know, space. You were yeah. in a one bedroom. I was in a genuine midtown two bedroom that, you know, come on, this is this is not any sort of two bedroom. If 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 <laughs> they, this is can't just walk around the bed. There's no room to walk around the bed. Um So, you know, we to live in really close quarters uh, with your single parent was not completely unheard of. Mm -hmm. And I think she had a sense of isolation that came with being an only child. But it's interesting to hear you say that about that bond. There's a part later in the book where I move out um, of my mom's apartment. I stay in Hell's Kitchen, but I move out of my mom's apartment. And for years we had been in the phone book as E.J. Bowie. Um, Eileen and John. Yeah. And she liked, she didn't like having Eileen Bowie by itself in the phone book Mm -hmm. because she felt it made her look like a woman on her own. And she wanted, so we were this sort of like non-gender specific unity together that just ick. Um, And (laughs) I, I, I love her. May she rest in peace. But there were little moments like that of just like, there need to be some boundaries here, but we, but you know, Dad lives in Queens, and we have no space. <laughs> we yeah. have no, we have no physical space in which to maintain boundaries, and the doors have been repainted so many times that they don't shut all the way.
0: <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. And
3: that kind of shit. Uh, that I think is, uh, is unique to New York.
0: Yeah, I didn't have a door. When I say it was a one bedroom, it was literally like the way the house was. My mom had the bedroom, and basically it was like a, kind of a little hutch area like not hutch it was bigger but an alcove yeah basically an alcove and so i had like the whole you know the bunk bed on top with the desk underneath right yes like, a nice little uh-huh. compact situation
3: right right and
0: then like later on i got a little tv to put on top of my dresser so i could have my own you know entertainment but it was like you could watch
1: different world on your own
0: exactly if i went to be by myself or like there was a i got into a wheel of fortune phase it's like (laughs) what but it was like like, there was no like knock knock it was literally just like walk over she would just put her head up it's like are you sleeping what are you doing you know whatever it was was very open and that was there was no other way you know but it was also just different too and growing you know because I went to school on the Upper East Side, and talk about a stark difference back in those days between Harlem and the Upper East. You know, where, I where,
3: where, where on the Upper East.
0: The Brearley. Dalton School.
3: He went to the Dalton. That would have been my next <laughs> guess. I, I went.
0: I went Breerly first. <laughs> I was. I said no. Only. I said no. All girls. I was like, oh, no, I enough. don't want to. And looking back, I'm like, good lord, I should have gone to an all girls. Spent too much time having crushes. Okay. Yeah. But. It was like... But that set you on the this path, right? It did. It set me on the Juboo <laughs> path, maybe. Dalton set me up. I said, are you surprised I've taken a Juboo as my forever lover? What else would I have done after years of Dalton and Wesley and Juboo? <laughs> what else are we doing? Juboo. Juboo. Um... <laughs> 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 oh, but, my God. But when... I get, You know, because we're going to be answering people's relationship questions. They're calling in. They want some help. I guess I'm wondering for you, you know, with the... New York, 70s and 80s, parents who, as you said, your mom, where you were like, you know, press it down, we don't talk about it. When did you start to realize, oh, I can go talk to somebody and then maybe I could get on Lexapro Pro or something? Like, when did you figure out you could make a change?
3: 26, 27 in there. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I had to, I should have been in therapy from a very young age. There was just enough going on in my life with like, a lot of parents get divorced, and a lot of parents have far messier divorces ah! than mine. Um, is that your dog or ah! my dog? That's our dog. That's your dog. Okay. Um, I have two over here, too. but mine is- <laughs> Actually, my, no, mine isn't barking because he's vigorously That's- licking his perineum right now. So Mabel? He's, he's swamped. Do you see
0: her? Look ahead. <laughs> Do you see her?
3: Oh, that's right. You've got a Mabel, too. We have a Mabel. Our pug is named Mabel.
0: Oh, Mabel the Pug!
3: Mabel the Pug. Sunny the Terrier is the one who's going to town on himself, but Mabel is, I think, in... She might be sleeping on my son's bed. Um, Yeah, but we let the kids name Mabel and... uh, Mabel is named for Kristen Shaw's character on Gravity Falls. Um, oh. I, I don't know if you've ever watched that show. You don't have kids, but it would but be But I've heard of yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a really it's a really high end kid show. It was a okay. really two really smart uh uh sort of uh X Files for Kids uh cartoon oh. Oh, on phew. Disney. Okay. And um and so they agreed to name uh our girl Mabel and then <laughs> then Sonny is over here um uh in getting all Caligula with himself. <laughs> 26 is when I decided to get into therapy <laughs> um, because I had a, but here's the thing, you know, my my upbringing being what it was and my father was a fairly introspective guy, uh, all things considered. Um, you know, immigrant parents, but he did go see some, he did go see a therapist and I don't think he ever got on antidepressants. God knows he should have, but he, and he never did He he quit drinking cold turkey on uh, advice of his doctor. So he didn't do any 12-step stuff. But he did go to therapy. My mom had no time for any of it. Al-Anon was a bunch of complainers. Just (laughs) none of that stuff. You know, I didn't understand why I went to therapy. But what happened with me was I just stopped. I just lost my shit somewhere around 26. I just stopped eating and had like irrational anxiety and fear and and guilt over every little transgression that's ever gone through my head and um just was this was untenable Mm -hmm. and i started going to talk therapy and i was so naive that i asked I, i after like four sessions of talk therapy i was like I need to, I need to try medicine. He's like, okay, well, I'm a PhD and I can't do anything about that, you halfwit. You're a grown human being, right? John, you're a man, right? And you should know the difference between a PhD and an MD, but given that you apparently don't, here's a number. So I went to a guy who, who, um, he, I remember he was like, okay, so here's um, a prescription for Zoloft, um, which will get you the fastest blood level. Um, and here is some Ativan for the short term. And I remember being like, okay. And I went to went to uh, Dwayne Reed. What's oh, up, yeah, New York? shout out to the DR. What's up, New York? <laughs> yeah. What's up, New York? Manhattan. <laughs> DR, stand up. <laughs> and I, I went in there and they were like... Um, Uh, The Zoloft might take us a day. You can give you the Ativan right now. And I was like, you're goddamn right. That's exactly how it's going to go down. That's exactly how this is going to go down, buddy. You're going to give me the Ativan right now. (laughs) And I took one. I was literally on a lunch break from a temp job I hated. Or actually, I was full-time at that point. And I went back to the office. And for the first time in months, I was a little calmer. And the only thing I was like, my typing is slower. (laughs) I'm not... (laughs) typing as fast as I usually do. I'm I'm an exemplary typist, <laughs> and I am below average right now, but I can keep food down, so that's exciting. Um, and I didn't, did I even tell my parents that I was on? I think I eventually uh, told my mom that I was on Zoloft and Ativan, and she was it just baffled her. She just could not get her head around it at all. She yeah. just was not wired for that level of admitting you're mm-hmm. so crazy you need drugs, you know, which is a reductive way of phrasing it, but that is essentially what we are saying here, is that my mm-hmm. mental health has gotten to a point where I will need medicine to correct it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And Wait, that what was, had that was built
1: a- up? What was it that was building up that like at 26, suddenly like it all came crashing down? Um, well, there were a lot of things. I'm glad you asked. Um,
3: I, uh, the, it's, it's weird what will trigger something like that. For me, what triggered it was my band breaking up and you're like, Oh John, for God's sakes, your band broke up. Will you sack up? But no, I get it. I get it. It's a relationship, you know? And if you've, if you've ever been in a sort of a sketch group, uh, any sort of creative partnership is a deep relationship. And, and we broke up kind of just not with like a big, you know, we didn't do a farewell show. We just kind of fizzled out, which was a bummer. And this thing that I had for like a year at that point, I had been telling myself that, yes, I am, my my day job is I am writing copy for a multinational professional services firm. But I will not, I, I am in this job, but I am not of this job. Yes. I'm in a cool punk band we release our own seven inches. We book our own tours. We silkscreen our own t-shirts. I am punk as fuck.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> How dare any of you suggest otherwise? <laughs> absent, absent the band. Absent, um, and then my I was dating my high school sweetheart, but we were on like year eight or nine, and that was circling the drain. And I was starting to realize that I had no creative outlet. I had written a couple novels that had been rejected, Uh, By a bunch of different, like very, uh, very distinct publishers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like big ones and small ones. We're all like, yeah, no, we're good. Uh, (laughs) And and so I was going through that. I have absolutely no creative outlet. And then there was a part of me that was 26 and had been going to the theater and watching TV for years and just realized that, like, you know. I've always wondered what it would be like yes. to be an actor, but I'm yes. so scared. Yes. I'm so yes. scared yes. of
0: it. Oh,
1: this feels so yes, familiar. Yes,
0: he's speaking our language. I know. And, so,
3: and so I, I, yeah, we should hang out. But um, <laughs> uh, like the Zoom thing is fine, but I absolutely would have happily come over. Um, the, to play with your dogs, whatever. But, um, but so there was a, there were a bunch of things going on at once and they were all, Really hard to accept, you know, to accept the fact that I was, you know, on track to being, uh, you know, vested, uh, there's a word for it because it was a limited liability partnership, the firm where I was working. So you wouldn't be a shareholder, but you'd be vested in the firm somehow, like not a partner, obviously, but you would have some sort of investment in yeah, like be, you'd have a I stake.
0: Was, yeah, financial stake.
3: You'd have a financial stake in it, and I um I had health insurance for the first oh. time in a while, oh. um I but my relationship was falling the fuck apart, and I had no creative outlet, and I was deep down a a a closeted actor who was mm-hmm. trying to like who d- could not work up the courage, and. It got to a point where there was this awful cocktail of self-loathing and self-aggrandizement. Biggest piece of shit
0: at the center of the universe.
3: That's the term. (laughs) That is the term that not everyone has heard. I'm suddenly thinking Naomi and I might have a few more other things in (laughs) common. (laughs) but the um so it was yeah it was that sense of like i suck but i should i deserve better yet i suck however um and that just like that kind of <laughs> yeah. you know hamster wheel of thought um uh and i i just i i stopped eating i really could not keep food down um i lost a bunch of weight i was not sleeping well at all the ativan wasn't working i was on i was taking There was one night where I'm fucking lucky to be alive, where I had gotten my drink on. I even feel like it might have been my 27th birthday. I'd gotten my drink on. I'd had an Atavan and I had a muscle relaxer. Oh, my God. And, I'm pr- and I couldn't, and it didn't do a goddamn thing. I still walked around the house just what? like like pacing in a tiny little apartment that I was sharing with a woman um, and were wildly falling out of love. And I'm like, wow. For one thing, I'm Hunter S. Thompson because I've got all this shit in my system and I can't sleep. Um, <laughs> who is this guy? Um, but I, it, it had to get really fucking bad for me to realize there was a problem. And I would, you know. It, if they ever make a terrible, terrible movie, I take improv <laughs> classes and the clouds part. It wasn't quite yeah. that simple, but <laughs> around that time, I on a dare, on like I, a friend of mine dared me, and uh, or we dared each other, and then another friend of mine highly recommended I try improv at the then nascent Upright Citizens Brigade, and um, it all just kind of gradually my life just sort of came into came back into place. And, you know, a little Mm -hmm. shortly thereafter, I broke up with the high school girlfriend and I quit that job and I had the good fortune. And this is where the luck of this business comes in is that I moved back home, but home is again, the theater district. I'm right there off the Times Square subway station. It's humiliating. It's very very small. My room has been turned into an office so I'm mostly on the couch. So I'm I'm eating nine kinds of shit by doing this, but I am in the media capital of the United States and I'm, you know, it all kind of worked out in the long term. But things had to get really bad before I sought help to answer mm-hmm. that question from 6 hours ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean that makes sense. I uh I wish my answer had been improv <laughs> or like, I wish the answer had been one of those things. Cause I think that it's, it's really interesting. This feeling of, you know, the goalposts constantly move. And with every new thing, it comes with this new, the new rules and the new compare and despair. Like
2: uh-huh. I, moving
0: to LA has really fucked me up in a way. Like I, and I have, and I have to really acknowledge that and try and like, or rather, I acknowledge all the time as much as figure out how to fix it. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I there is, I have too much time alone to be thinking about what else is happening and what's right. not happening or what someone else is doing. Or like how Insta- somebody's Instagram post, I literally had to have Andy talk me down. It was like 11 p.m. He had come into the room. I was supposed to have been asleep for two hours. And I was like, tell me not to compare myself to these people because mm. I saw their picture. <laughs> like you know, <laughs>
3: yeah, that's a great way to put it. The goalposts are moving in a weird way. Of like, what does it mean to take care of yourself at a time when it's, you know, we're all just kind of getting our social bearings back after after the pandemic? LA is kind of can be kind of an isolated city anyway. You don't run into people in LA the way you run into people in New York for whatever reason because it's just so spread out, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like I always say, like. You can be in Hollywood or in Los Feliz and have a good friend in Santa Monica, but in New York, that would be like living in the West Village and having a really good friend in the Grand Concourse in the Bronx, you know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you, you you wouldn't. You probably would not have a friend in the Grand Concourse in the Bronx, nor would you have one in, uh, um, in you know, deepest flushing or whatever, because it just...
0: But you There's still a, might run into each other on the D train. But you That's still might beauty. run into each other on the D train, you know. Um, you still might converge at the yeah, yeah. random location.
3: <laughs> no, and, and that doesn't happen in, in uh, you know, it doesn't never happen, but it's, right. it's a much rarer occurrence. This can be a very isolating city, um, especially if you are used to the close quarters of New York. Um, and on the one hand, it's nice to have a little time to yourself. On the other hand, it can be hard to find community.
0: Mhm.
3: And yeah. especially when you're looking in show business, which can be kind of petty and jealous <laughs> and and competitive, you know. So it's yeah, it's a it's a series of interesting challenges.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I keep saying that I think Naomi needs a a hobby or something. Just to like I have I play music, I have a guitar, I have keyboards if I, you know, want to get away from some of the stuff, I can just do that. Whereas Naomi has Yeah, you're correct. Staring at... Yeah,
0: K-dramas. Staring
1: at Instagram. Uh, Garden scapes on my phone. (laughs) What other people are doing. But wait, before we ask... uh, Before we answer questions, I just want to ask one question. When uh, those clouds parted, you know, how did all that stuff set you up to meet Jamie? Mm, Oh,
3: well, you know, it's interesting. That is a great question. And uh, on a couple of levels, and and this is in the book, um, I, I... started to make UCB just a huge part of my life. And mind you, this is UCB circa 98, 99. So it is a very different vibe. It is very Mm -hmm. small. It is not particularly diverse, but it is very, very small. It is very easy to get stage time. They needed you more than you needed them to populate their stages. You did not audition for a Herald team. You were plucked out of level three and put on one. Mm -hmm. Um, The only games in, like nobody was taken seriously enough as an actor to go out for law and order. The only other games in town were we would occasionally do bits on Conan. Right. Once a year, somebody would maybe audition for SNL and not get it. Um, And then there was commercials and the odd VH1 prank show, but that was really (laughs) the, so, so, you know, was there competition? Yes, but for what, you know, like we're all like, yeah, yeah, it was not, you know, the, the, the stakes were just super fucking low and I was suddenly surrounded by a ton of people who were infinitely more introspective. And you still had some like alpha dudes, but there were a ton of people who were much more open about being in therapy and were much more open about taking antidepressants or about you know using their trauma for creativity in a way that I hadn't even seen in punk rock. Like this was, this was a very open season. And so the combination of the drugs starting to work and taking me up to a baseline where then improv and community could make me feel better because I, I do want to dispel the myth that, you know, antidepressants are happy pills. They just mm-hmm. kind of take you up to a, right. a base a baseline of of functioning and then the happy is up to you. But um, and I don't think she'd mind me saying this, because it used to be part of her stand-up act. I met Jamie, and Jamie had also just gotten out of a long-term relationship and um was incredibly vocal about her mental health struggles. Just incredibly both been put on Zoloft at the time. We have switched brands since then, <laughs> but um, they put you on in '98. They would put you on Zoloft because it worked the quickest. You know, it had weird side effects, but it 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 you got a blood level like three or four days faster than you would on Prozac or Paxil. And I don't think we had Lexapro yet. Mm-hmm. And if I the second I start sounding like Grandma Grandpa Simpson, you just <laughs> you just nod and let me know. <laughs> And I was wearing an onion on my <laughs> belt, which was the fashion at the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but there's a moment in the book where I literally talk about having been to a therapist who was like, yeah, you really like to beat yourself up. And like a week later, seeing Jamie on stage, literally punching herself in a scene like, uh, like Ed Norton at the end of Fight Club. It is fucking raining spoilers over here. <laughs> um, and... And I mean, and it's, you know, it's maybe not the most auspicious start to a relationship, but I was like, oh, this chick gets it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, this chick gets it. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so it, we were friends for, honest to goodness, just friends for two years. And there was some flirtation, absolutely. But we all kind of went off in our directions and sowed our oats and came back in and uh, in the summer of 2000 and have been together ever since.
0: Wow. Since yeah. the summer of two thousand, look at you being healthy and in a relationship, <laughs> and then making humans and yeah, being healthy yeah. and having yeah, we two m- dogs. Look at you! I know
3: it's not bad, right? It's not bad. We made some people. <laughs> um, uh, we keep dogs alive. Uh, yeah, she she keeps plants alive. It's astonishing, really. Yeah.
1: Truly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, why don't we take a quick break now that we have this? Now yes, that we, we
0: have the backstory, now we we know. understand the core, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Absolutely, John's
0: core. Why
1: don't we take a break? And when we get back, we will answer
0: some of your advice questions.
2: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom
0: Can we take a minute and talk about Skims? Now, you know I'm a recent Skims convert, having tried their underwear in the last few months, and I am now living lifted, supported, changed. So I decided to keep trying new stuff. And let me tell you, Skims basics and foundations are where it's at. Yes, I recently got the soft, smoothing, seamless t-shirt. And y'all, it is so comfortable. It's been the perfect layer for me. I'm rocking it under a cardigan or a sweater when I want to keep it fitted and fabulous and not look all bulky. I mean, y'all know I'm back to work. Hashtag blessings. And I'm definitely that girl who is always cold in the office, okay? I need my layers. But I'm still trying to look put together. And the soft, smoothing, seamless shirt is helping me get it right. And I also got the boyfriend t-shirt in Heather Gray. And it is so friggin' soft and comfortable. And it's giving casual but intentional when I wear it with a pair of jeans. I'm feeling very good in it. So if you want to give these and other basics a try, shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small through 4X. Thank you for the range, Skims. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Again, that's skims.com. Go check out everything they've got in the new t-shirt shop. with john ross bowie here to help you handle your scandal honey john's done the work and he gonna help us help you do the work too okay Th- them's the rules now jrb we get we get dms on instagram on twitter emails at couples therapy pod at gmail we get voicemails people are coming to us every which way all right mm-hmm. every which way how long have you two uh, been together 13 years, just about 13 years in March.
1: That's lovely. And we met at UCB. (laughs) Oh, man, that's fantastic. The parallels are abundant. This one comes to us anonymous from Gmail. Okay. Hi, Andy and Naomi. I need your help! Exclamation mark. My therapist is on vacation, and honestly, good for her. (laughs) And I really could use some advice on a situation that's new to me. My friends, let's call them A and B, okay. are ending their marriage because A cheated and fell in love with someone else.
0: Ooh, unpleasant.
1: Oof. After several months with both relationships in limbo, A has decided to leave his husband for his new guy, and B is devastated. Okay. Mm. I've tried to mind my business and stay out of things, but last week B was really spiraling and needed someone to talk to. After hearing his side of the story, I'm extremely disappointed in A and just want to keep my distance from him. Okay. But now A is messaging me because he's struggling as well and is looking for support that I don't know how or frankly want to give. Whew. Okay. To give a little more backstory, I used to be very close with both A and B, but the pandemic complicated our friendship. Sure. Sure. At one point, we had a big fight and only A put in the effort to make things right with me again. It majorly hurt my feelings that B seemingly gave up on our friendship, but therapy and time eased that pain for me. I was finally getting to a peaceful place with that before A told me about his new guy. So now that their marriage is ending, B finally opened up emotionally and apologized for basically ignoring me for the past year because he needs my support. And I feel very conflicted about A because while he was the more mature one when it came to maintaining the friendship after our fight, he's objectively the quote-unquote bad guy who's blowing up his marriage and completely breaking B's heart. How do you think I should navigate things and protect my own feelings when both of them reach out asking for my support? I don't wanna push them both away when they're in such dark places, but I really don't wanna be involved. Thank you deeply for any help you can give for setting up some emotional boundaries, and please keep me anonymous. No problem with that, you are anonymous.
3: Whoa, okay, okay. Okay. Tough one.
0: Right, because let me just do a quick recap, okay? A and B broke up because A cheated on B and is now with their new person. Yeah. But our writer, was initially closer with A. Because even when there was a little bit of a pandemic dissolve, A was the one who was like, hey, sorry. you know." No, we, B was the no, one. No, A apologized. I see what you're saying. Okay, this is the whole thing. I which see. is actually backstory I didn't even need. Okay? Because it says only A put in the effort to make things right again. I see. That's the whole thing. But in fact, I actually don't even need that middle part. The middle part even confused. Let's take that part out about who made who what. Right, because fair enough. basically you, basically there was a rift and you righted it you between the apology your own work you were like it's fine but now it is in this breakup caused by infidelity that you feel like you got to make some hard choices Mm -hmm. now have you had close friends break up in a messy way and you kind of feel like you had to take a side or were you even asked to take a side ever
3: Oh, God, yes. Especially over the past couple of years. There are some marriages that did not survive the pandemic. And we, we know people like that. And it becomes a real case of – because there's always going to be a friend custody battle. That's simply – there's no way around it. There's just no way around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but – Oh man, especially if there's no, you know, no actual kids, uh, over which to have a custody battle, but, uh, or the kids are self-sufficient. Um, I find myself in this awful position where I have to really weigh the, who I want to spend my time with mm-hmm. and not even a question of who deserves the time. Uh, but who do I want to spend the time with? So you end up like taking in all this data, like, okay, well, they cheated on you. That's awful. But what was they work like at home? It takes two people to uh to get divorced, you know? It takes absolutely two people to get divorced to to break up. And you do find yourself having to do this sort of Solomon like, hmm, "Upon who shall I uh grant my favor?" Uh it's a tough one, man. I, I we we don't have the details. Right. right. Uh but I think it, at one point this person's going to be forced to make some sort of choice or maybe they won't, maybe this person's going to be able to just be like, you know, I just won't talk about the other one in front of, I won't talk about B in front of a and, and vice versa. And the world will keep turning. And, uh, hopefully we don't all show up at the same (laughs) wedding, you know, it's that's that I, I don't know what else to, to, to say. I I just, we, you
1: need more data. I would say don't judge a, like it, uh, Objectively mm-hmm. is not a good thing.
0: Right? Yeah, it's Object- objectively not good.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying this. Okay, I had friends who I had. Uh, there, they were a couple, and then the one, uh, in the couple started dating another friend. They had been together a long time, and then started dating another friend. And I was like, uh, and and emotionally, nothing physical happened as far as I know, but emotionally cheated on the first friend. Yeah. with the other friend, and then. Broke up with the first friend, and started dating the second friend. Right. So there's there was and like you're some, friends
0: with all these people. That's yes. the thing. Y'all were you well, close crew.
1: Well, the one that broke up, that like that emotionally cheated, or however you want to phrase it, uh, that then started dating the other friend. I stopped talking to them for a while. Right. Out of loyalty oh, wow. to so my your first original thre- friend, to the friend my, who
0: you felt got left.
1: Yes, and I felt very loyal to that person, and shut the other two out and then after a while i was like there was a reason why they broke up in the first place in the this first this place this this. and those the two people they're still together today right
0: they're married now they're
1: oh, married well. they're All married right. now the and left. i like after a uh, maybe 6 months or so i was like there was a reason why they and maybe it wasn't the best way that they broke up and it was really kind of like shitty to my first, to my friend but like there mm-hmm. was a reason for it and now to shut these two people out because I have made a judgment about about how they conduct their life right. is not right. I don't think it's fair. Yes. I don't think it's fair to them. And I think that's the same thing. Don't make a judgment about another person's life. Like, look, if they do something immoral, like murder someone or like something really like heinous, judge them. If they right. if they are Republican, judge them. OK, because that carries with it some some stuff. Right? A lot
0: more. Right. There's
1: a lot more. I would say that, like, there's sure. a lot more judgment if you are like if you vote for an anti-abortion candidate than if you cheat on a spouse
0: okay i don't know i really see I'm about to, i understand what you're saying but here's the thing i will say about this situation to bring it back to our writer this is a very messy situation uh-huh. so when we say for instance even okay you can be friends with b but not bring up a that's all b want to talk about at least right now you know what i mean like they're going through it they're in that dark point right. where it's like Mm-hmm. I, and it's almost, and I remember that feeling, certainly in my younger days, but that feeling sometimes when you were talking to a friend, a mutual friend, almost as if they're like a stand-in for that person, or you wonder what information you can get out of that mutual, or you want that mutual to pass on information. You know, when you're really in the thick of it and it's a lot of drama, it's really hard for that friendship to just be clean. I'll tell you right now, I'm dealing with a friendship situation where I realize our friendship is... It sort of deteriorated in part because she is now with a person who I really have problems with and I don't know how to engage with her without thinking of that you see what I'm saying like even mm. if the conversation's not about yeah, it yeah. and like I'm not trying to bring it up I'm like oh it just kind of bums me out and I don't want to even have to think about it so I just am like I'll see you when I see you
3: Right. And that's right. like
0: way more minor than like this. Someone like cheat, like two friends, like a, two of your besties, you know, one cheats on the other, and then you feel like something. But what this person has said in writing is that they're like, I don't want to be involved. And I think it really has to be a manner of tempering your when you engage. You have to really kind of decide to, like, you, maybe you can't have a phone call every time one of them calls you in a dark place, right? Like, you can't be yeah. on call. You can't be available in that way. You know, you have to nope. know. I'm a person now over time where when I do reach out to people, I will go, "Do you have time to hear somebody cry?" Like I let them know what they're getting before they even pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, by all means, you need to. Uh, I am, I am reaching out. Do you have space exactly, for this? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I, I, I think that's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. Um. But not everyone does this. Sometimes it'll be like, "Hey, what are you up to?" And then next thing you know, you're sitting at a brunch and you're just giving someone tissues. And you said, "I thought we were just drowning in their yeah. tears." Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I didn't know we were doing. But I think. That's what you can do. So it's not pushing them away and being like "fuck off" or "I don't want to hear about this." It's like, as you know, I still am friends with A slash B. For everyone's sake, I think you you should think about kind of when do you really need to tell me this, or when do you really want to talk to me about this? When am I really the best right, action? right, right? Mm. And that's a question you ask them, not. I don't think that's a question you ask them in their heightened moment of darkness. It's something you do kind of in between, right? Like when you kind of just chilling, not, you don't do that when they call you crying or yelling, but that's something that I think you have to kind of put in there. And then it really is on them to, you know, this is what happens and you break up and you have to start widening your circle and finding new people and finding a self-help group and finding a therapist, meaning A and B, they got to start finding new resources.
3: Yeah, absolutely. They can't just strictly lean on the people around them. That's another thing yeah. to keep in mind, is that it's important to have your own boundaries and say, yeah. look, you know, we can go to some places, but, you know, I'm kind of in the middle here, and it's it's tough, and it's not a great uh, view from where I'm sitting, and, uh, you know, let's just uh, – I can't be your everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean – it's also like sometimes you know someone calls you and sometimes it can be pointed but maybe you text back because you ever try to like when someone called like if you can't talk but you're like i want to like i want you to know like i see you or i'm there sort of it was like uh-huh. oh i can't chat now uh so i'm texting checking in like are you in dire straits or are you gonna be okay and i think that's right. just as much a, as much a question for you to ask somebody as much as for them to answer Uh
3: 100% 100%. They gotta answer that
0: question and go Actually you know what when you put it that way I will be okay I'll hit you up tomorrow And like maybe it'll be better Like you just never know By the way can I amend what I said before (laughs) I don't think you should judge
1: people for moral failings If they are If they are conditional If they are contextual Mm -hmm. If A was a serial cheater Who who left a, uh, a A long line of hurt people In their path that's right. Different. That's different than this kind of situation. So agreed. Feel free to morally judge the <laughs> other this per, the other person the uh, the the per, if they're a serial cheater. Feel free to judge them morally. If mm-hmm. you are clean yourself, remember what it says in the Bible. <laughs> what does it say? Something the Bible? about the speck in the eye and the beam or something like that. No, I don't know. It's no, the okay. New Testament. No it's Bible. not my part of the Bible. I don't really know. <laughs> I just know there's
3: the my, the my s- wife called, my wife calls it the sequel.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah. Empire in the empire strikes back part of the Bible. Right,
3: right, right. But uh, yeah, you cannot uh, uh, you cannot take a speck out of your neighbor's eye when you have an enormous plank of wood in your own. Yeah.
1: Yeah. By the way, is that not true? Is is the New Testament not empire? It ends on a downer revelations, right?
3: (laughs) Right, right.
1: Like everything falling apart.
3: Yeah, no, it really is. The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And then, of course, obviously, the true gospel, the Book of Mormon, is the Return of the Jedi. <laughs> guys, I have some literature I'm going to put into the chat. <laughs> I don't know what you guys have heard, but.
0: <laughs> um, do you have time for one more question?
3: I do.
1: Okay. okay now go I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want it to be serious or do you want it to be less serious?
3: Oh, I feel like we should. We owe ourselves a less serious one right now. I feel
1: like, all right? All right let's, I think we're all in agreement let's do this about one. that. This is very marriagey. All right, <laughs> okay.
0: marriagey.
4: Hi, Andy and Naomi. My name is Ray, and I am calling to ask you a question about um, dividing household duties while cohabitating with your significant other. Um, so, my partner and I have lived together for probably five or six years now. Okay um and when we first in together i was very stringent about splitting all of our cooking and cleaning household chores equally um because we both work full-time and there's no reason for us not to be splitting the chores full-time sure however we both grew up with parents who had very um we we'll say traditional gender roles in their marriages so My husband was never really modeled or shown how to do a lot of that kind of work. And so it took a lot of like reminding and showing him what to do and how to do it, which was fine because it was important to me, you know, that that work was put equally. And he was very willing to do his part. He just didn't necessarily come naturally to him. But I Mm -hmm. recently Mm -hmm. realized... But I have kind of slowly taken over most, if not all, of our household chores. I do all the cooking, most of the cleaning, grocery shopping. And I think it's because um, it got to a point where it took more energy for me to, like, remind him and tell him what to do than it was to just do it myself. And that's during quarantine. My energy levels are at an all-time low. So I guess what I'm asking is how do you split up your household duties? I'm always curious to hear how other couples do it. And do you have any advice of how to get my husband to help out around the house more without having to constantly remind him? Okay, thanks. Bye.
0: Uh, Oh, boy. Classic. classic. Tale as old as time. How do we divvy? How do you guys do it? Um... Someone comes and does it now, you're both booking. Well, yeah, I mean we we we
3: have someone who helps out, but they, they only come once every two weeks. Um and there's a we have two kids, so there's a lot of laundry. We're trying to start to we're trying to delegate more to the kids. Um there is absolutely no Oh god, she's just walked in.
1: <laughs>
3: They're asking about how we divvy up chores.
2: I do all of them and then resent
4: everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, that saved us some time. (laughs) Um, That is um, uh, the cliff notes. Um, uh, I I would like to think there's a dash more nuance to the story, but not a ton. Um, No, I I am trying as I am uh, uh, going. Oh. (laughs) Tell it. If you're. If you're Challenge, listening AG. at home, she has just entered frame. Go on. <laughs> I'm trying to... What I'm trying to do is put myself in her shoes more often and have a little more empathy and look around and be like, what's going to make her day easier? What's going to make her more comfortable? And I... Uh, it's a real progress, not perfection situation. But I am making <laughs> more of She has of left a, the frame. She has left the frame. A more <laughs> of a concerted effort. a loving effort.
1: pat on the shoulder. <laughs>
3: To which is riddled, you couldn't feel it, but it was riddled with condescension. I mean, if you could, have, I mean, if a touch could be condescending, I mean, holy shit, wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it is a tale as old as time, and it is a really tough thing. And it is, um, I had a single kind of doting mom who you know was a bit of a control freak and was in had this sense of like and wasn't even that great at like a lot of things, but. You know, it's gonna, if it's gonna be done right, I have to do it. And, um, and my dad was very, the thing is, my dad was very tidy, but he moved out when I was seven and then I saw him every other weekend. So, um, and he also, like, I I just didn't associate it with happiness because he could also be kind of miserable. So I was like, okay, well, a tidy house won't get you happy. So, uh. (laughs) but I, as as you know, I am I am plummeting through midlife. I am I am able to look around the house a little bit more and be like, oh, I bet that pile is annoying her. I should address that. I could she could wake up to an empty sink, and that might be a good thing. Um, So, you were going to add something, sweetie. Number
2: one, you also feel better when those things are actually out number 2 you have two piles in the
0: living room when you're done with this interview <laughs> ah, ah, 23 magical years 22 years
3: 22 magical years guys 22 <laughs> magical years yeah that's um, it uh but yeah it's um uh yeah it's a, it's a negotiation um i uh i do wonder like does he does this guy that we're talking about in this call does he notice the problems is he right. genuinely a slob or is he just, you know, is there maybe uh, some ADHD at work here where he knows it's a problem but can't quite motivate? Uh, mm. You know, there's a bunch of questions that uh, that are unanswered by this. But as with most things, it comes down to a certain amount of empathy, like what's going to make my, my spouse's life easier?
0: Right, but I think the issue here was our caller is the one doing that work. And so I think in a way it's almost like, Ray, are you willing to yeah. let something go until he gets to it? Because I think sometimes it's true. It may take him it may take him a couple times and noticing the mess or noticing the pile get higher without you coming in and cleaning it the way you have, but he might get to it. Exactly, that's the thing. And I think like one of the things is like right like kind of telling someone I think when you want something done, for instance, one i think it's also about giving lead time right being not being like do this and meet imme- right now and then you know being in a huff at that night when you do it yourself as much as being like hey can you do this by wednesday yes the Can you boundary, do this about, like you need to give a little space
1: <laughs> that drives me more nuts that like first of all i handle i think a majority of the chores around the house because i am more of a neat freak than na- it started off with like when we moved here naomi had a job and i didn't so i was like all right well i'll just do all the house chores and then now as we both gotten busy i still do a lot of them but just because i am uh both procrastinating from doing the work <laughs> I have to do. And also, I'm, I'm more of a neat freak than her. Yes. But oh, sometimes, okay. Naomi will say, I want something, she wants something done. And I'm like, sure, I'll get to it. And I put it down on my list. And then she does it. And it drives me fucking nuts. It drives me insane because it feels like in her doing that, I am being judged <laughs> that I didn't get to it. But if you give that timeline, if you give a, a, a deadline, Right. Then it's just like okay, okay. I know when this. I know when it needs to be done by. So I re- I love the deadline because <laughs> then I know if like it doesn't if, if I've surpassed that deadline and I ha- not having done the X Y or Z chore and right. Naomi does it, I know that that's on me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Responsible It's. It, I think it's all about being very clear and communicating responsibility in these cases. Yeah. So if, I would agree. if if the uh if the husband isn't doing this stuff, clearly communicate what you expect from and be be stern. <laughs> Like, be in their face. <laughs> waggle your finger. I think this is – I think all relationships need that. Yeah, they all need uh, that. Absolutely. Be very didactic. No, no. <laughs> but, like, but like, have a, have an actual talk about, like, hey, I think I've been doing this much. Can – you know, what's going on? Is it ADHD? What's happening?
0: Right. Are mm-hmm, you underwater mm-hmm. in your own work stuff? Like, what's right. going on?
1: What's going on? And then I I would really love if we could divvy the stuff back up again. And mm-hmm. here's the
0: deadlines for these things. But also, not just here's the deadline. Because I would also say too. Of all these chores, which do you hate the least? That's the other question too, right? Give him the right. stuff that he can kind of do yeah. that's going to be the least of – the stuff that he's less likely to drag his feet on, right? Right. Or you could say, hey, I need you to do this because this is the thing that I can't stand or this is the thing I can't get done this week or whatever it is. Like, Obviously, that's stuff right. can change, but I think if you start there – because, for instance, one of the main reasons why you wash the dishes, Andy, is because for you, you say, oh, I put a podcast in and I kind of use that dishwashing time to – have a listen and like do something fun or funny, right? Like right, that's it right. for me. Whereas me, I go there's a perfectly nice dishwasher right there, and I just don't know how I would ever just. Y- I used to wash dishes as a kid, and my mom was like, "You do better than." She called me the. Di- She's like, "You're better than a dishwasher." Like I wash dishes, I know how to do them. I hate doing them.
3: Like, right. You know what? Right.
0: I don't mind laundry because I, I hate the. I hate so doing that's laundry. the thing. I was like, I'll do the laundry now.
1: Will right. pile
0: up? Absolutely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I will do it. But we'll (laughs)
1: never run out of underwear. It never piles up to the point where I I go to this drawer and there's no boxers there. It's (laughs) never that... But like, oh look. Hold on. With uh, hold on one second. With the dishwashing. All right, anything that can be dishwashed goes in the dishwasher. All
0: right? But anything that could
1: melt, like plastic, I, 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 think, I wash. Yeah,
0: I'm willing to take more gambles than you do. I'm not, I think that's the difference. I'm, I will put some shit right in there and just uh, let it. I don't want to do.
1: open that up to find a hunk of modern art that is <laughs> melted into yeah. the thing. No. no I'm you, not yeah, doing you don't
3: that. want some sort of Yeah, that, that that's reasonable, but I um uh yeah, sometimes things need uh the that, that one 2 that that actual hands-on care. But I think you've made the really good point Like what's the thing that's the least annoying And I actually don't mind Doing laundry or folding laundry um, I don't love Doing dishes but I hate having a sink Full of dishes so I will right. I will get in there um, I hate making lunches For the kids hate making
0: <laughs> that's Are they old something... enough to do that now?
3: They are fucking 100% old enough To do that <laughs> and, but it's a whole thing um, But uh, um, Anyway yeah uh,
0: It's um it, it, it's a it's a process, best of luck guys. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's a process, best of luck guys. <laughs> John, 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 John. John, thank you I so mean, much.
3: Andy, thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. You
0: are a big yeah. delight. Your book is wonderful, so I hope everybody picks it up and we will see you next week.
4: Bye.